If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. There's a groundbreaking space science fiction movie that came out in 2013 called Gravity. Many of you have probably seen that movie. It's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Almost the entire movie takes place in outer space. It's just a visual spectacle. It's also a very spiritual film with all kinds of motifs in the film about rebirth and the need for transformation. And a good part of the story hinges on the main character, Ryan Stone, played by Sandra Bullock. Essentially, a tragedy happens in a NASA operation, and she's stranded in space, and she doesn't know how she's going to survive. And there comes a point in the film where she's convinced that she's going to die. And she's speaking to this voice on a radio that she had been talking to, but it's someone who doesn't understand her language. And she says, oh, I'm going to die. I know we're all going to die. Everybody knows that, but I'm going to die today. And then she goes on to reflect on what that means. She talks about how she's afraid, that she's scared. And she says this, nobody will mourn for me. Nobody will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you pray for me? Or is it too late? I I would pray for myself, but I've never prayed in my life. Nobody taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. It's a really profound moment in the film when you reflect on perhaps the number of people who've never been taught to pray and have no confidence that there's someone praying for them. I thought of that scene in that film as I was working on this message this week. Because the answer to that question for a believer, will anyone pray for me? The answer to that question for a believer is that there is someone praying for you. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is praying for you if you are a believer, if you are in him. And I want to reflect on that this morning. We're in a series titled, What is Jesus Doing? The book of Hebrews highlights the role of Jesus today. Today we're considering the priesthood of Jesus. Specifically, how Christ, as our priest, prays for us. The theological word for this is intercession. And so with your Bibles turned to Hebrews 7, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11. If perfection could have been obtained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. 
You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, I know in a passage like this, there are all kinds of things that that either spark our curiosity or are just downright confusing. Like, who's Melchizedek? And what's the significance of this oath? And it seems like the author here is quoting uh, passages. What passages is he quoting? And I'm just going to let you know up front that there's a lot that we won't be able to get to today. Because I want to get right at the main point, and I want to look at Christ's work as our intercessor and what that means. So what I want to do is answer four questions. I want us to see what Christ does, what Christ prays, why this is so powerful, and how this helps us. Now, just a moment ago, we read the larger passage to give us some of that biblical context, but I'm going to focus especially in and around verse 25. Number one, what Christ does. First of all, what does it mean when Jesus is our intercessor? What we're really looking here is at the nature of Christ's intercession. Essentially, this is what he does. He appears in the presence of God for us on the basis of his finished work, and he prays for us. He prays for everything that we need. Now, let me break that down. First of all, he appears in the presence of God. You see this kind of implicitly in verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You see it especially in chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That means not not into a, a physical tabernacle or temple. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So there it is. Christ entered into heaven itself. He did this when he ascended to the Father. He entered into heaven itself the true temple of which all tabernacles, all temples of the Old Testament were just copies. And he enters into God's presence for us on our behalf. Now, this was part of the work of a priest in the Old Testament, especially on the Day of Atonement. A bull would be slaughtered outside of the most holy place. It would be killed on the altar. And then once a year, only once a year, the priest would go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, the very inner sanctuary of God, where the glory of God dwelt. He would go in and there over the Ark of the Covenant, over the mercy seat, he would sprinkle the blood. The priest's work was not completed until he went in and made a presentation of that blood. And that is the imagery 
that lies behind this language. The author here is saying that Christ, having made a once-for-all sacrifice, having offered himself for our sins on the cross, that Christ now completes his priestly work by entering into the very presence of God. He enters there to represent us. So, he appears in the presence of God for us, and he does this on the basis of his finished work. That finished work is emphasized both in Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 9. I'll read again chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. All right. He's made the sacrifice. That's complete. The work is finished, done. And it's on that basis that Christ now enters into the presence of the Father and he prays for us. He intercedes for us. He does everything that's needed for us. Think about this for a minute. He made that one sacrifice on the cross, and we are right to give attention and to focus on that. I mean, that's right at the heart of the gospel. Christ, what he did on the cross. But that was a a one-time event. The text here tells us that Christ always intercedes for us. Hebrews 9 says that he entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So this is what Jesus is doing right now. Right now, today, Christ is always in the presence of God, interceding for us on the basis of his finished work on the cross. So church, here's the reality. Right now, Christ is in the presence of the Father, and he is praying for you. He's praying for you. Now, I'm going to jump straight to the application by saying that knowing this truth is the greatest comfort and the greatest encouragement that a Christian who is struggling with the guilt of sin can ever have. I want you to listen to this hymn from Charles Wesley, Arise, My Soul, Arise. He says, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They ever plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. The Father hears him pray. His dear anointed one he cannot turn away. The presence of his Son. The Spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. What amazing comfort. What amazing encouragement. Christ always lives to make intercession for us. He appears in the presence of God on our behalf. That's what he does. That's what we mean when we talk about the intercessory work of Christ. Number two, what Christ prays. What does he pray for? We're talking about the content of Christ's intercession. Interestingly enough, Hebrews doesn't really tell us. Hebrews alludes to this intercessory work of Christ, but it doesn't really give us specifics. 
But there are other passages of Scripture that do, and so I want to share a few of these this morning. What does Jesus pray for when he prays for us to the Father on our behalf? First, he prays that our sins would be forgiven. This is the basis of all of our assurance of salvation. It's Christ's work on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Do you get the logic there? Paul is saying nobody can condemn us. Nobody can can bring a charge against us because God justifies and Christ has died, risen, ascended, and is now interceding. Because that's true, no charge sticks. Now, notice that Paul says, he does not say that there are no sins to accuse. That's not the case. There are actually things that we could be accused of if we're just looking at ourselves. Paul does not say there's no accuser. And in fact, Scripture is very clear that there is this adversary, there is this enemy who's called the accuser of the brothers. What Paul says is that no accusation can stick, that no one can lay any charge against us because of God's justifying work and because of Christ's work in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and intercession. I think one of the most beautiful pictures of this in the Old Testament is in the book of Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah 3, you have this high priest named Joshua. He's standing before the angel of the Lord, and the adversary, Satan, is standing at his right hand to accuse him. And in chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? Here is a high priest who is clothed in filthy garments. The accuser is there to condemn him, and the Lord rebukes him. The angel removes the dirty garments and gives him clean garments. And church, that right there is a very clear picture of what Christ does for us as our priest. He removes our sin, and he clothes us and righteousness. And it gives us such great confidence so that we can say in the words of the old hymn, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Because Christ, based on his sacrifice, prays for our forgiveness. Second, he prays that we'll be protected. John chapter 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. It's often been referred to as Christ's high priestly prayer because it gives us a picture of Christ interceding for his disciples on the night he was betrayed. 
I want to pull a few verses from John 17 to show you some of what Jesus prays for. In John 17, verses 15 and 16, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. He says, I'm praying that you will preserve them, that you will protect them. That's what Jesus does. He, he prays that we will be protected. A great illustration of this is found in Peter. Do you remember the night before Jesus was betrayed? Peter said, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, I will not disown you. And do you remember what, what Jesus said to Peter? He actually called him by his given name. He didn't call him Peter, he called him Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. He says, Peter, you're about ready to go through something really terrible. The enemy's coming for you. Satan has demanded to have you. You're going to be sifted like wheat. You're going to be tested. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you see, there's no doubt about this. Jesus has complete confidence that Peter's going to turn around even after this terrible failure. Even when you have turned back, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What an amazing prayer. Jesus asks that we will be kept from the evil one. And it doesn't mean that we'll never be tempted, it doesn't mean that we'll never sin. It doesn't mean that we'll never fail in some momentary temptation. We know that we all do. But it does mean this. It means that we will not ultimately fail. It means that we will not finally fall away. It means that we will not be lost. It means that we will be protected. And then here's another thing. He prays for us to be made holy. He prays for our sanctification. John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This promise that's made to Christ, quoted in Hebrews 7, it's a promise from Psalm 110, where God says, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we're referring to this priestly figure from Genesis. So here's the priesthood of Christ from Psalm 110 which, by the way, is the most often quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And one of the promises there is that God is going to put all of Christ's enemies under his feet. And the old Puritan theologian William Bridge, he says that your sins are his enemies. Your sins are his enemies. And God has promised, and Christ as priest prays, that all of those sins would be put under his feet. That's why you're going to be sanctified. My goodness, that's encouraging, church. That's great news. Because when you think about the sins that are so deeply etched into your character and you're struggling against them and you're trying to overcome them and sometimes it feels like it's three steps forward and two steps back. Anybody know what that's like? I get so frustrated with that in my own life. I feel like I'm, I'm making progress in something, and as soon as I feel like I'm doing better, it's boom, there it is again. And you know what encourages me? 
It encourages me to know that Christ has the promise from the Father that those sins will be defeated and that God is in the process of defeating them. Now, that doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do, of course. It calls us to action. It calls us to put sin to death, to work hard and pursue holiness. But ultimately, it does not depend on what you do. It depends on what Christ does, on what Christ has done, and what he continues to do in praying for you, on the work of his Spirit in your life, empowering you to pursue sanctification. Christ is praying for that. And then Christ is also praying for us to be one, for his people to be one. John 17, verses 20 and 21 My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So really, you have two things here. He's praying that we will be one, and he's praying that the world will believe through our lives, through our oneness, through our testimony. So Christ prays for the unity of his church. What a great incentive that is for us to pursue unity in the church. That means both unity in our own church, but it also means unity with all believers in Christ. So that when we agree in the gospel, we don't let secondary differences divide us. Because we're we're part of the same body. We're we're one in Christ. We're, We're part of the same family. We're united in him. Christ prays for that. Now, number three, why this is so powerful. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to know that your prayers are answered. Now, I don't know about you, but I offer a lot of prayers that I hope will be answered, but I'm not always sure will be answered. I have certainly experienced unanswered prayers. I've prayed for things that that, that God hasn't given But every prayer that Jesus prays is answered. Every prayer that Jesus prays for you is answered. His prayers are powerful, and I want you to see why. So number three, the power of Christ's intercession. I want you to see why the intercession of Christ is so powerful. First, because of his indestructible life. Hebrews 7, verses 15 and 16 And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry. You see, that's what happened with the Levitical priest who descended from Levi through Aaron. But Christ's priesthood is on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. You see that both in verse 15 and then in verse 24. It says that because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Here's the thing about Christ. His life is indestructible. He rose from the dead. He lives forever. He always lives to intercede for you. This is one way why his priesthood is better than the Old Testament priest. Those priests eventually died, but Christ never dies. He died once, he rose from the dead, and he'll never die again. 
And so he prays with the power of this indestructible life. And it gives power to his prayer, to his intercession. Second, his prayers are powerful because of his relationship to the Father. He is the Son of the Father. Verse 28. And that recalls back to chapter 1 of Hebrews, where we see the supremacy of the Son of God through whom the Father has spoken. Hebrews opens with the words, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And then listen to the description given in Hebrews chapter 1. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then he goes on again to quote from Psalm 110. He's comparing Jesus to the angels. And he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. You just get the sense that there's this special relationship between Jesus and the Father. Now, you might think in terms of your job or your vocation. I'm sure you've noticed this. You've experienced this before. That it's one thing to submit an application or, or a resume when you're looking for a job. But it's something completely different when you have an inside connection, right? It, it's completely different. We say this, right? It's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. Uh, we, give, we give Ryan Kime uh, a hard time around here. We have, we have some fun with him because uh, there'll be something going on. Like something needs to be fixed. Somebody needs, somebody's got an issue with something. And, and he'll say these words, I know a guy. Yeah, yeah, I know a guy. He'll say, hey, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll take care of it. I know a guy. When you've got a connection, things start to happen, Right? Here's the deal. Jesus is your connection to God. You have a connection. And his connection is Jesus because he's the son. And God loves his son. And because God loves his son, he's so glad to hear him when he prays. Here's another reason his prayers are so powerful. Because of Christ's perfection. You see this in verses 26 through 28. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Now listen to this description. Five things. Holy, blameless, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is the description of Jesus Christ. He has no need to offer sacrifices for his sins and then for those of others, right? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. You see that in verse 28. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. He's perfect. And so the perfection of Christ gives power to his intercession. Let me give you one more. Because of the Father's love. The Father loves the Son. In John 10, verse 17, Jesus says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus says, The Father loves me because I'm going to the cross. Now, of course, the Father has eternally loved the Son. So this isn't the only reason the Father loves him. But Jesus is saying here, I'm the good shepherd, and I'll lay down my life for the sheep, and my Father loves me for this. Do you know why the Father loves the Son for going to the cross? 
because he loved the world. And he gave his son to die for them. The reason the Father loves Jesus for dying for you is because the Father loves you. Do you know that, church? There is not behind Jesus some frowning, angry father that Jesus is trying to convince to be nice to you. There is behind Jesus a face that is beaming with love for you. And if you have seen Christ, you have seen the Father. The justice of God is completely satisfied. The wrath of God is completely removed, and the Father loves you. He loves you so much that he gladly hears and receives the prayers of his son, and he listens and he answers every one of those prayers on your behalf. Number four, how this helps us. We begin to see how this encourages us and how this helps us. We're talking here about the comfort of Christ's intercession. The sacrifice of Christ assures us of our forgiveness. It means that we have sympathy in our temptations. It means we have boldness in prayer. It means we have strength for holiness. And all of that is true on the basis of his sacrifice. It's also true on the basis of his intercession. But I want you to think especially this one thought that there's great comfort in knowing that Jesus lives to intercede for you. Christ's intercession as our priest is the believer's supreme source of comfort and encouragement. You have every encouragement to run to Christ in your temptations and in your guilt and in your sins, whatever your need is. Whether you need forgiveness or strength or help or sympathy or comfort, whatever you need, there is every reason to go to Jesus. But even more than that, we need to know that Christ is greatly willing to intercede for us. He wants to intercede for us. And indeed, he does intercede for us. This is the purpose for which he was anointed as priest. Let me give you one more illustration. Again, this is from William Bridge. He says essentially that people see things through the lens of whatever his work is. So think about three different men. They're walking in the woods and they see a tree. One person, a carpenter, sees a tree and he goes, oh, this tree could make a beautiful chair because he's seeing it through the lens of a carpenter. Someone else is walking through the woods and they need firewood for their home. So he sees the tree and he goes, oh, I'm going to chop this tree down and this can be used as firewood for the winter. And then somebody else sees it in a different way. People see things through their lens. So three different people see a child. And this child is very bright and very smart. A doctor sees the kid and goes, wow, this kid could really make a great surgeon someday. An attorney sees this kid and says that this kid could make a wonderful attorney someday. A preacher sees the kid and says, this kid could make a great preacher, a great theologian. We see things through our own lens, right? And so the sinner is seen in different ways by different people. William Bridge says that when Moses comes to a sinner, Moses representing the law, he says, there's a sinner, condemn him. When Satan comes to a sinner as the accuser, he says, there's a sinner, let's accuse him. But when Christ sees a sinner... He sees the sinner through the eyes of a priest, and he says, let's forgive him. 
Let's forgive him. Church, do you know this morning that Christ is your priest? That Christ is interceding for you? How do you know? Well, Scripture says that he intercedes for those who draw near to God through him. Have you drawn near? Are you drawing near to God through him? I don't know if I've ever done that. Well, maybe this morning is the time to do that, to draw near to God through him. You might think, I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't know if that qualifies me. Well, Isaiah 53, 12 says that he made intercession for the transgressors. Are you a transgressor? Are you a sinner? If you're a sinner, then you're qualified for the intercessory work of Christ. If you're a sinner, come. Because Christ came to save sinners. Because he came to intercede for the transgressors. And come. Come with great confidence knowing that Christ will receive you. I'll close with this word from Robert Murray McShane. McShane was a Scottish pastor in the 19th century in Scotland. He died when he was only 29 years old. In one of his journals, he wrote, I ought to study Christ as an intercessor. He prayed most for Peter, who was to be the most tempted. I am on his breastplate. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Church, I want you to know this morning that Christ is praying for you. So take heart, be encouraged, and run to him. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that Christ is our intercessor. That right now, even while we're gathered in this room, that, that Christ is praying for us. And when we leave this place, when we go home, when we go to work this week, Christ will be and is praying for us. God, I thank you for the hope that we have that our sins are forgiven, that when Jesus prays for us, that every one of his prayers are answered, and that we have strength, that we have hope through it. God, may that change the way we live our lives, that we would know whenever we are in need, whenever we're struggling, that we would know that we can come to you because you hear us. You always live to make intercession for us. So God, if there is anything that anyone in this room, that anybody listening or watching online, if there's anyone who is joining us today that, that has something that they need to come to you for, God, I pray that today they would come. In Jesus' name, amen.